Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode will be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Professor Tian Balawati in this episode. Tian is Rector of Universitas Tabuka, the Indonesia Open University, and across her extensive career she's seen many developments of distance education. Tian is a keen advocate for inclusive online learning and a previous ICDE president. I'm talking with Professor Tian Balawati, who has made lifetime professional contributions to open and distance learning. She has had extensive experience in research, teaching and administration of a large-scale open university system as Rector of Universitas Tabuka, the Indonesian Open University, from 2009 until 2017, and has multiple professional achievements, including President and currently Control Committee Member of the International Council for Open and Distance Education. Tian, it's very good to be talking with you. Thank you. Jen, can we start with a brief overview of your career and publications? Okay, so this is going to be a very long story since I have been working in this uh, field for over 38 years now. Mm. Uh, so I started in 1985. At that time, I was just graduated from my first degree, which was not in education. It was in uh, agricultural economics. Mm-hmm. But I happened to be the neighbor of the president or director of a newly founded university, which is called Universitas Terbuka. Mm. So the university was established a few months prior to my graduation. So when I graduated, uh, you know, while I was applying for jobs here and there, my neighbor, who was the president at that time, said, why don't you just help me? You know, help me uh, out with developing the course materials Mm. because the university was founded and he didn't have any like full stuff yet. So I was helping him and his team. And then what happened was because the university was in a very tight schedules, every time I got an invitation for my job interview, I was always away, you know, working for this university. So at one point I said, I want to quit helping you because I couldn't find a job. And he said, Why don't you just work for us? I said, oh, I don't think so because this is not my field. I will send you, you know, for a a master's degree in education if you come working for me. Mm. So are you really? Uh, I said, yeah, just do the test. If you pass, I'll send you to Canada. So I did take the test and then I passed. So then I went to Canada and take my uh, second degree in education. So that was the start of my career. And then uh, when I get back, of course, I got involved again with the university, which was also still developing. And I got so much involved and I was enjoying it so much. Mm. And I stayed until now. Uh, So the university to me is just like my baby, you know, because it was (laughs) maybe five or six months old. And I pretty much uh, involved in a very step all the way. From, uh, you know, the very early stage of developing the structure, the materials, the programs and everything up to this point. And I realized that it's it's my calling because I enjoyed the work very much. Uh, and then I went to take my uh, third degree, of course, also in education and went back and then becoming uh started to involve in the management, uh, starting from um, the head of study program, head of research uh, center, up to the president of the university. Mm-hmm. So, so that was, you know, career-wise in management. 
as uh, as far as research interest, uh, my interest also uh, was growing uh, and in line with the the growing of the university. So in the beginning, my research was uh, like researching factors affecting student success, researching factors affecting student dropout and persistence and what kind of media is the most effective mm. um, and then cost-benefit effectiveness, comparing the uni open university and the campus-based universities. But then, you know, when uh, I came back from my PhD and then I was heading the research center, uh, that was 1995. And at the, about the same time, internet entered Indonesia at that time. Mm. So I started to get, you know, to do some research on the utilization of internet for our university, especially for providing tutorials, providing counseling, uh, how can we replace the face-to-face -face tutorials with the online tutorials at the time? Of course, there's no LMS yet. So I started doing research with um, using the mailing list based tutorials where I assign a mailing list address for each course in the university. Yeah. And then we, we provided uh, tutorials and then because internet was not even distributed in Indonesia at that time or even now, we, we started to, to do simulation like uh, combining internet with fax technologies where we can send uh, materials to students as emails and students receive it as fax images yeah. where they can receive it in the telecommunication kiosk, which were spreading all over the country at that time. So, you know, and then it developed, it developed in line with the advancement of technologies up to uh, developing the online tutorial system using LMS and then mm -hmm. using uh, developing web-based um, support services like for registration, payment, and everything for students. So I would say that when I was in the middle of researching uh, and developing online tutorials using the first um, LMS, free LMS at that time, mm. I was then appointed as the vice rector for academic affairs. That was in 2001. So I upscaled my research and make it into university program. So then it's becoming the uh, the formal system of the university. So it's no longer my personal research. Yeah. And then it got expanded, expanded until now. And I believe that what we have now uh, has been the further development of that system. So the baby was from my research until now, yeah. Mm, so you were very pivotal to the use of online education at the universities. Yeah, and then we, we did it from the very early age since internet entered Indonesia, yeah. Mm, mm. So were you using uh, listservs? I think you mentioned email addresses for each course. Was that the way tutorials were run, through listserv? Or? Uh, yeah, well, you know you know mailing list? Do you remember mailing list? Yes. Yeah. Where you can broadcast email using that kind of uh, uh, system or technology. Basically, it's very simple, yeah. Mm. So it's a fascinating perspective you have then, Tian. So you, you started uh, fairly low down in the university, um, have worked all your way up to rector and beyond. And during that time, you've seen the university go from a fairly simple distance education organization to what must now be quite a complex online uh, university or assisted by online resources. Yeah. Yes, well, yes. What were some of the um, key things that are different now? Uh, how would the education experience differ for your students from when things first started right through to today? Oh, I think it's, I mean, it's like 
you know, earth and sky, the difference, because <laughs> before we had, before we had internet, before we have online system, you know, for, for our distance education programs, for our students, if something went wrong with our system, we, our name would be in the national newspaper because there is no way student can get into us except, you know, writing in the newspaper. So our problems will be known by everybody. And then we use postal service, but you know, also service, they're not that dependable. Mm. So every time we have internal problems, it would end up in the national newspaper. That was the, that was in the past. But now of course it's more personalized. We have contact center. We have 24 hours, you know, hello Ute. And then we have a personal web page for the student. So students don't have to scream, you know, to contact us. And we can now even, you know, uh, detect the risk so we don't have to wait until everything blows up, right? So I think the difference is like, you cannot say it in the words because it's like so far away, yeah. Mm. We started with a distance education system with a big black box in the middle. You know, like it, we just produce course materials, send it to postal service, and then students come to the exam location face-to-face. What happened in the middle? We didn't know. It's a big black box. <laughs> yeah. But now now it's like a continuous, you know, learning process online. So it's, yeah, it's, if I, if I think about the past, I can't believe that we could do what we did, you know. Yeah, it sounds as though some big changes to systems, not just the teaching and learning side, but also the uh, support side of, of... Everything. The management side, the logistic part, oh, you would not believe because, you know, we are in a large-scale operation. Yeah. I mean, you, you are familiar maybe with the wide, uh, you know, geographical areas of Indonesia and the very, uh, you know, diverse uh, characteristics geographically, the demographically, and everything. It's the logistic is as, if not more complicated than the academic. Mm, mm. To, you know, for us to, to cater all the students from all over Indonesia. And when we talk about number, our students is around 500,000 students. So everything is in a massive scale, you know. So that little problem maybe in regular university, in our, it escalates, you know, to exponentially yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah i mean you imagine when we were like relying on the printed learning materials when i was still director one time there was this uh ferry ship you know sunk mm. and then one of my director in uh, in the region called me and said oh we lost 500 million rupiah i said what do you mean because our course material was in that ship that sank you know <laughs> and then <it> goes. <laughs> I mean, that kind of things, that was my daily, you know, <laughs> uh, at that time, text messages, you know, that kind of disasters. Mm -hmm. So things have become a lot faster and arguably a lot more reliable by the sound of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's so easy now. I mean, not so easy, but much easier now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you've done some research over the years as well. Uh, can you tell us about some of the research that you've done and particularly those papers that you think are still very relevant today. Recently, I just wrote a book and it was just launched uh, two days ago in uh, the university, 39th anniversary, and I was writing about quality assurance. Quality assurance for open, uh, uh, the title was for blended and online learning uh, standards and implementation. And why I wrote that, because we are still until now is the only uh university that is entirely using distance education and online learning during the pandemic of course everybody went into online learning but it was not 
online learning it was like emergency remote learning right yes, yeah. so and i was i was hoping a lot of hope at that time that maybe they would stay using online learning to some extent you know after the pandemic but apparently it's not too many that that are maintaining their online learning so everybody now has gone back to the a face-to-face classroom-based uh, teaching and learning in universities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sporadically, there are still um, many uh, lecturers, you know, at individual levels who are uh, uh, still doing blended and online learning for their own classes or their own students. Not institutionally supported, but they are doing it. Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, even though I have been working on QA, but at international level, but I think it's very important for us as the proponent of, you know, online learning in Indonesia to to educate these lecturers, you know, about uh, quality assurance in providing blended and online learning. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the context of, of my book. From the title, it might not sounds up to date for the global level, but for Indonesian level, it is still very much needed, you know. I also have uh, done a lot of advocacy for online learning, for distance education, for open education. Mm. And our uh, goal at the university is to make the education law and, you know, the derivative regulations on education, especially for higher education, to be more uh, inclusive for the non conventional face-to-face learning pedagogies because we have been very much struggling meeting up on the, on the regulations requirements uh, with regard to that. So so I have been doing a lot of advocacy personally and institutionally and I'm so happy because about two weeks ago, the government just launched a new ministerial decree on higher education, national standard for higher education, mm-hmm. and I was able to insert so many articles that would be accommodative to us and also not only to distance education but to open education and i was also extremely happy that i could insert the word open educational resources as part of the infrastructure for higher education now Mm. so it's officially in the ministerial decree now so i i was like I said that would be my achievement for this decade, you know, to put that into the law. And now even the accreditation agency, they have to uh, revise their instrument to also acknowledge, for example, there is more flexibility in study time for students. There is more flexibility in terms of calculating how one credit unit is implemented in our pedagogical system. There would be more flexibility on how we accredit people who are taking courses from example from MOOCs you know yeah. and uh, uh, how does uh, the lectures to develop their courses so because in Indonesia it's like you have to develop everything from scratch if not you are not a good or great or smart lecturers <laughs> so I was I, I have been you know advocating and campaigning I said you know good teachers create but great teachers remix you know <laughs> and also uh, the open licensing I was able to insert and the acknowledgement of the open licensing and encouragement for university to adopt open licensing for their materials and use open license materials for their uh, teaching materials. Yeah. Mm, mm. So those are like very close to my heart. And even though I did not do like specific research on those, but more more on advocacy, but uh, I keep doing it like for, for the past 20 years. I mean, the output is very, you know, bit by bit. But uh, but I'm I'm happy now that it's in the ministerial decree. But my goal is should be in the education law, 
which is higher than ministerial decree. Mm. It was already instituted, but the education law is now being postponed. But I hope it will not be crossed when it been, it's been launched. Yeah, so I'm watching it very closely. Great. So the research you've done historically then has certainly fed into those uh, advocacy activities, hasn't it? Because you have published in those areas. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes, yes. I think so. I think it's it's interwritten because in in my in my perspective, Indonesia is very big. Even when we are doing like we have now over four thousand and two hundred higher education institutions in Indonesia. Wow. Even that many institutions we have, there are still many blank spots. The participation rate in higher education is still around thirty five percent. So unless you know, unless I think we adopt the uh, open education paradigm, open sharing and everything, I think we will never, you know, we will never be able to cover all, you know, the whole country. So mm. we should we should cover those black spots with this. That's in my perspective, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, well, your observations about online learning and education at the present time. So we are post-COVID, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, we're now coming towards the end of 2023. What are some of your thoughts about how online education is working at the moment? Globally, I think it's very good, right? I mean, in many countries, it has, it has become a mainstream uh, system or model, for especially for higher education. Uh, not only online learning, but even online uh, open learning. I mm. think uh, MOOCs has been globally accepted very well. I mean, the development on MOOCs participants, I think that is one indicator of how acceptance uh, the, the society and the global society mm. on the uh, open education movement and open education opportunities. Uh, and that will not be uh, possible without online learning. So I consider that as part of online learning. But in Indonesia, I think, yes, we have some development and some progress. Yeah but not to the stage where when i'm happy because i was i was about to be happy during the pandemic because you know uh, when the pandemic hit us uh, early 2020 uh, i think at that time our university has been doing online learning online learning for over 25 years yeah and then we have been you know encouraging people to do the same but you know only very, very little people like listen to us. But with the pandemic in 25 days, you know, like all the universities, everybody is calling us. We want to do what you do now. Come on, teach us this, teach us that. Like yeah. I, I give seminar like almost every day. So, and I said, don't worry about, you know, if you make it wrong, you know, don't worry about mistakes. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Just do it, you know, in the, in the first semester. Mm. And then the second semester, okay, now we have been doing it for two semesters. Now we have to start talking about the lesson plan. We have to start thinking about the, the, the correct course materials, the correct pedagogy and everything. So I think at the end, because I did three surveys, I think during the COVID, and it was like very, what is it, promising, right? Mm -hmm. Their understanding about online learning, their understanding about the quality of it, their understanding about the benefit and the beauty of online learning to both students and the, the, the teachers and the, the lecturers. Yeah. So like at the end of 2000, I mean like mid 2020, I was still having a very high hope that they would stay. They would not go back completely to the face-to-face -face, uh, classes. But they did. <laughs> they, they did. did. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, I think maybe only a handful of people in big universities are still doing what they did during the pandemic with better quality now. 
so within the Indonesian context, I'm not too happy. But in terms of our university context, it's very good. Mm. Our students now, uh, before the COVID, our students were dominated by adult students. But now, like 60% of our students below 30 years old. So, which is, mm. you know, getting younger. Yeah. And also, the because in, in our bachelor programs, the online learning are not mandatory. They're supplemented because we still have students who don't have access to the internet. Mm. But even if it's not mandatory yet, now the participants of our online learning like skyrocketing. Yeah. So, within our university context, I'm happy. Within Indonesia, I'm not that happy. Within... Globally, I think we are great. I think we're doing great, yeah. Mm, mm, great. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, to think that um, some universities thought post-COVID they were looking forward to going back to the classroom because things would go back to normal. So no no leap forward there. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's Isn't that sad? I mean, after, after enjoying the flexibility of it and you want to go back to the rigid classroom, mm, mm. you know, situation, I think I just... That's beyond my comprehension. I don't understand how they think. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tian, the research you'd most like to see, imagine you read the perfect article, one that uh, scratched every itch you have at the moment. What would it look like? What would it uh, be about? Well, you know, everybody's now in the hype of AI and everything. And I I mean, I have read so many uh, articles about AI, how to use AI, but I still haven't got the graphs on it, you know, so I would really like to see more research on how AI can really help us, you know, as the provider of online learning without jeopardizing the quality and also jeopardizing the opportunity for students to grow intellectually. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I am very much looking forward to that kind of research, not in the technical research, but in the implementation research for for online learning, how I think we are still in the very early age now, even though there are already many uh, studies, but not yet to to the to the depth where it can really be useful for for the individual uh, online lecturers. I think. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's actually a very interesting area that. And also metaverse, yeah, and, and metaverse was also seems to be like. Mm. Uh, last year, two years ago, I wrote a book chapter and I mentioned about the potential of metaphors, but I haven't seen it taken off, you know, mm. the mm. the benefit of metaphors for us as the provider of online learning. So, and I don't know why. So that also, I still am waiting. Yeah. Mm. So very much an innovative focus there. Yeah. I haven't done anything, any research on those two. Uh, I'm not a technical person. So I'm still waiting uh, for other research that can be my base for my own research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say earlier that um, for for artificial intelligence, it's interesting that it can actually affect most parts of how a university operates. So it's not just helping teachers put uh, classes together. It can also help learners uh, become a lot more independent. Yeah. Uh, It can also help university systems by um, being smoother. So there's a whole range of different applications there. Yes, yes, of course. I think for the university, I think the benefit is more clearer to me Mm. because now we are transforming our university, for example, to use more AI and I am now in the team of uh, using that, you know, to to enhance our management system, our learning support system to students to be to make it more friendly, simpler, and everything. Yeah. Uh, so that is clearer to me. What is not 
clear yet to me is how I can personally take a use of that to enhance my own teaching in my own course yeah. uh, without jeopardizing the opportunity for students, you know, as I said, to grow intellectually without cutting off their thinking ability mm. uh, instead of, uh, or, you know, yeah. I hope you know yeah. what that means. It, it's hard to describe. Oh, no, I, I do. I think there's been a lot of critique about technology always robbing us of some particular skill. Like, for example, when writing first came about, the complaint was that people wouldn't memorize as much. And of course, that that happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so with with um, AI, I think the common argument is that if the AI does all of the thinking, uh, we might not be so deep at thinking ourselves. We rely on the technology to do that for us. Yeah. For example, uh, one of my course is uh, of course research methodology, and usually, usually in the first uh, week, I would ask students to to identify research topics like the general research topics, whatever that intrigued them, right, mm. and then give the rationale to those. I mean, with the chat GPT or other AI uh, applications that are now available everywhere, it would be easy for students to ask them to, to, to make that. Yes. So I've, I have been thinking on how should I ask the students so that they don't do that, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. so, they, yeah. they, so they would really identify it by themselves and write down the without asking the AI, derivative AI first. Mm. So mm. I have been working on the 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 initiation questions or the trigger questions uh, that I would give to my students, but then I answered, oh, I can ask this to ChatGPT. Oh, I can answer this. So everything <laughs> I ask, I think I can ask to ChatGPT. So I said, how should I ask the student to do something that you know they would not be able to get the full answers from ChatGPT? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because if they did. You know that would like take away the opportunity to 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 exercise their ability to identify, uh, you know, research project in their own situation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, things like that. I I'm really like, would someone maybe do the research on that? You know, and maybe I can read it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yep, someone definitely needs to write that paper. <laughs> Well, Tian, to finish with, two people you'd recommend as legends of online learning, one whose work or perspective is significantly influencing you now, and someone who you think otherwise might have an important perspective to share. Yeah, that, that I have been thinking about that question, and every time I was asked that kind of question, it's very difficult for me to answer mm. because, I mean, I mean, I got inspired by so many people, and I think most of my inspiration don't come from big names, mm. but from you know from papers presented in the parallel sessions in the conferences that i attended for example yeah. you know um uh, of course keynote speakers always inspire you but uh, the thing that always triggered me to like experiment it on something usually it comes from from you know sporadic individual who did their research in their or particular context and then so every time i was asked about this it's it's very difficult for me to to mention just one name you know I always admire people who think freely, you know, because in my context, I don't have the authority or to think freely. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because uh, when I think freely, uh, they don't work because there are regulations. There are regulations about the finance, regulations about this, about that. So it's very difficult for me because I've been working as management in the university with with my superstructure full of regulations, so it's very difficult for me to think freely. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always, you know, I always admire people who think freely. So people who are activists in the open education, yep. I 
I'm always intrigued, like how come, for example, you know, Judge Simmons and Stephen Don's thought mm-hmm. about opening up their course and then it becoming MOOCs, which we love now. Yeah. I also admire people who are, because I was struggling in Indonesia when we started this university and I was part of the struggle. Mm. And so I admire people who are now, for example, uh, starting to do online learning in countries uh, like Indonesia, for example, in Bangladesh, Mm. You know, the Bangladesh Open University is starting also to do the same. I have a very good friend of mine. There's a Shironuka. Oh, yes, I have talked to Shironuka, yeah. So, so like, for example, the things that she's doing there, it's like the thing what I was doing in Indonesia a few years ago, you know. Mm. Mm. There are two ladies who are, like, you know, pushing the Open University of the Philippines to the next level. Grace Alfonso and, and Melinda Bandelaria in the Philippines. Yeah. Melinda is current president of UPOU, the Open University of the uh, Philippines. Uh, she started a little later than I was, but she, she also worked in the university since the very beginning of the establishment of the Open University of the Philippines. So she would, I think she could, uh, she could tell a lot of story about how it develops in the Philippines. Yeah, excellent. Tian, thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking with you and you certainly are a leader and legend of online learning. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope that, you know, give you some materials to work on for the podcast. Absolutely. You can learn more about Tian and her work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals, and you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.